Latoya for Leaders on the Ground. I'm excited to be back with you. It's been a while since we had an episode, and today I have two of my very best and closest colleagues on the line with me to share their thoughts on some of the insights we've had due to this school closure and COVID-19. So, of course, Mike is here. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, Latoya, how are you doing today? I'm great. Can you uh, just remind everybody sort of what your role is as an educator? Yeah, so I am currently the Executive Director for Middle and Secondary Education in the district in South Carolina, uh, former principal, assistant principal, teacher, uh, but now I get the pleasure of supporting our principals and teachers in the schools. Thanks for being on the show this morning. And Mike, we're really excited to have someone who we know is one of the best in the business, our friend Tanya German. Hey, Tanya. Hey, Latoya and Mike. It's good to be with you this morning. Tanya, thanks tell, for having me. Oh, we're glad you're here. Can you um, tell everybody what your role is and your background? Sure. Sure. I serve as a building level principal here in North Carolina, and my background is teacher. Uh, then I served as a science specialist for the district for a while, and then I went into administration. I've been an assistant principal, now a principal at middle school, and also now at high school, leading a high school. Awesome. Uh, uh, I have to tell you, folks, Tanya German is one of the best in the business. Mike and I were lucky enough to work with her when we were co-principals, and uh, she is a uh, uh, really one hardworking, innovative, creative person. Um, but I'm glad to have you guys on the show because I think, you know, since this has started happening, we've been group texting and talking about, you know, the impact of this and the different things we've been handling in our district. And as you know, I started my new role in York School District 1 as the director of elementary and gifted programs in January and got lucky enough to be there uh, during this time. But there's been a lot of conversation about what COVID-19 has meant for public education and school closure. And I just wanted to talk with both of you and just get your perspective in terms of what this has meant for us as educators, uh, both leaders and teachers. What has it meant for students? Um, you Both of you have children who are school age. And what has it meant for parents? And both of you are parents. So let's start with that first question. Who wants to take the first one? What insight have you had about this school closure due to COVID-19 and what's it meant for educators and the kinds of insights or, or things that have uh, come up in conversation since this has started to happen back in March? So I'll go ahead and take take that one first. I think um, one of my biggest takeaways with the conversations that I've had with teachers and leaders in the building is has been more about how this has really emphasized the bedrock of our communities that public schools really serve. And that it's not just the academic world that we usually think about with our schools. We always knew that they were there to help prepare students for being citizens when they leave our buildings and when they leave. But really the bigger things that we do and we provide for our students, this has given opportunity to us for us to look at what are ways that we really wrap around and support families that need it even more now than they did before and how do we make that look different in a virtual setting you know I think of one of our students who texted one of the teachers or messaged them through our learning management system was just like I don't really know what to do in a given situation with their family and they didn't speak much English but it didn't take long for us as a school to wrap around that family and help them in this time that they needed and just the emphasis that that takes now is that we really are reaching in all um, directions and 
really looking at how do we socially and emotionally support our students during this time. I think you're so right, Tanya. I know in our district, we immediately started thinking through how do we make sure our kids have meals in their families. And so we started uh, running an operation out of our high school. We're a small district. We have one high school, one middle school, and uh, five elementary schools and an intermediate school. Um, And we started running meals out of our district, had over 400 on-site volunteers, and we're packing and delivering, I believe, about 2,000 meals a day. That was a breakfast and a lunch and delivering those by bus. And it quickly became apparent how much our community and our children depend on us for things other than just their teaching and learning experiences. Uh, Mike, what, what would you say has been an insight for you as an educator or that things you've heard from maybe the folks you serve, some of the principals, how has this really brought to light some of those things that we, we knew were important, but we now can be affirmed that are super important? Well, I think um, my main point I want to get to is um, how equity has really been brought to the forefront. I mean, we all know that's always been an issue in public education, but this has really brought some attention to that. But before I get to that point, when we first started, the e-learning, you know, a lot of states found out the day before they were going to start e-learning the next day, and it was kind of thrust upon us, and when that started, I saw a lot of schools and districts and um, states saying, yeah, we got this, this is great, our e-learning is going, our kids are learning from home, we have a plan in place, our kids are going to learn just like they would if they're in the classroom, and to me, that was kind of the narrative going for a couple weeks, and in reality, I think we all learn very quickly that it's just, it's not the same at all. And I think we do a disservice in public education when we say it is the same. Now, I think all of our teachers and schools and principals are giving their very best effort like we always do, and we're making some great things happen. But I think it's important we recognize, and I think it's kind of shifted to this now, it's not the same. It never will be the same 100% remote instruction. It just doesn't allow for those connections to be made. So that was kind of my first, um, you know, the first thing I thought about when we started going through the process. But now I believe that it has really thrown the equity issue into the forefront where we have some students that are getting almost daily online instruction from a teacher over video chat, which is, um, you know, not the same thing as a person, but that's, you know, something that's somewhat close to that. And we have some students that are learning from a piece of paper. And I say that kind of jokingly, but we have a lot of students that are doing paper packets that were delivered to them, and they're trying to teach themselves chemistry or calculus through a piece of paper, which we know is just not fair at all. Yeah, Mike, you bring a a point that's near and dear to my heart, because in our district, we're using a blended approach. So we have paper pencil packets that are for everybody and then our teachers may be supplementing that with video chats or um, internet you know broadband resources that have to be accessed via the internet but the trouble is as I was explaining to one of our community members just last week is we have some rural areas in our county and in our district where there's no internet service provider. So it's not even a matter of whether or not folks can afford a computer or afford to pay for internet. There's a rural broadband gap in this country. And after serving at the state level, I know that very well. Uh, well, whereas in some places there's no access to the internet. And I, for me, it's really convicted me that we're, we've reached the point where internet service is, is more like a public utility, sort of like lights and clean water, and we've got to start treating it as such rather than a luxury uh, that people choose to have or not have. Um, it, it really impacts quality of life, and 
I'm always amazed the community member I was talking with just was floored when I explained that when we talk about lack of access, we weren't talking about people not being able to afford the internet or people not having a computer at home. We were talking about the fact that there's no internet service provided in the area that they live. Um, And one of the things we did to accompany that is we were able to get some Wi-Fi equipped buses from the state and we strategically looked at some of our students who are in our dual enrollment and AP courses and where they lived and whether or not they have access. And we geographically, we, we placed them around our school district um, in places where those students then could log on to those buses of, during certain times of the day and do their work. And that's been critical. And another critical piece that I'm going to talk about next week or, or the end of this coming week on May 1st, when I'm keynote for Ed Minim's Equity and E-Learning Conference. If you haven't checked that out, check out Ed Minimum SC, and um, they're having an e-learning and equity conference. It's free. I'm going to be the keynote, but we partnered with Dollar General. We thought about where are some common, um, what's a common thing in our community that um, every, you know, those stores are throughout the community, you know, regardless of where someone might live. And there are lots of Dollar Generals throughout our school district, and they have a guest Wi-Fi network, and they've agreed that our students can come sit in their parking lot, and they can use their guest Wi-Fi network. And we also extended the range on our uh, guest networks around our schools as well. So we've had to make a lot of um a lot of adjustments to try and meet the needs of all of our students, but you're right, this has definitely shined a brighter light on the impact of inequity in our schools. I have to ask you, when you think about students and the impact that the COVID-19 closure has had on our students, Tanya, you being a high school principal, thinking about graduation, all of those things that we know happen at the end of the year to close out special times in our educational journey, how do you think students have been impacted by this? Well, for our seniors especially, you know, it's it's really just heartbreaking to think about that their senior year ended in this way in many ways. But and stop, what meeting with some student leadership groups that I have already, one of the things I think they kind of bond around is that they have this unique experience and they're able to recreate and reimagine that if this is our given scenario and we can't um, change anything about it, how do we make it unique to us and to fit our personality? So leaning on leaning on some of the student leaders to help with that has really been key for me because it goes back to um, one of the things that I always think about with um, education is how do we um, take what we have and make it better for those next possibilities. Um, And so they really are trying to think of that. So even though it's not what they expected and it's not what they wanted, they are being able to have something that we keep using the the saying about um, we'll be leading history and making our own and creating it with what we do now. And I think that's part of what's going to happen with education is we're not going to go back to exactly the way it was when we come out of this. And so how do we make sure that we go to a better tomorrow? Oh, yeah, I think you're so right about that. And I love the way you talk about the approach as this is a unique opportunity or a unique situation that student voice really does matter. And I think that's an important part of how we uh, address some of these things that we are uh, normally traditionally used to doing in pomp and circumstance, marching across the stage, shaking hands, celebrating in close contact and giving students a voice in what that looks like. Mike, what what would be your your thoughts around impact on students and how this has impacted students, maybe even thinking about your own children as students. I know you have a high school and an elementary student. So as a parent, um, well, how do you think this has impacted students? 
Well, first, uh, Tanya, I want to say that's awesome you have those leadership teams, student leadership teams in place, and you're getting their feedback, because a lot of times, as the adults in the system, you know, we think one thing, and we think this is going to be a great plan, and it might be the total opposite of what students are thinking, so I commend you for getting your students' voice on that to get their thoughts and um, see how they want to have their celebrations and write the passage. Um, but yeah, it's so interesting that the impact on students and um, you know, I think a lot of times when we are planning for this and we're trying to put plans in place, we think every student is just sitting at home, you know, not under any extra stress or things are just normal except they're sitting at home. But we don't know our students' situations. We don't know their parents' financial situations or the guardians' financial situations or sicknesses they may be having or, um, you know, a lot of times you think, well, some students might not have access, but even students that have access may not have access to sit down on their computer during the day because maybe their parents are working from home, maybe they have one home computer, maybe they have two home computers, maybe both parents are working from home and they have multiple siblings and everyone's trying to get on the computer at the same time. So, um, and, and Tanya, you also mentioned, you know, that we're not going to go back to how everything was done normally, and I really hope that is true. I think this is a great opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to make some changes that can really have some impact. For example, like final exams. People, you know, three months ago would have thought it was the worst thing in the world if someone said, we're not going to have final exams. Well, now, well, maybe some places are still having them, but now most places there's no final exam. But I think we're going to be okay, and I think we're going to create some great learning opportunities for students for students to show what they know without a traditional, you know, 100-question final exam. So I'm excited about those opportunities. I just hope that we have the conviction to make some of these changes that were forced upon us permanent. I couldn't agree with you more, Mike. You bring up the issue of final exams, and I was also thinking about standardized testing and how what I noticed uh, across many of my social media platforms and just contact with colleagues is when it was announced that standardized testing was canceled, people almost seemed relieved and felt free. And I had a, a teacher say to me, you know, now we get to do some of those things we never get to do. And when we talked about what those things were, those are things that our children should be getting to do anyway. Uh, if we know that we want to be sure we address the whole child, we know the mental health crisis in this country, we know how anxiety, depression, and suicide uh, has skyrocketed among teens, especially in our country, then we have to make sure that we could, we are acting with courage when we return to address the things that we know our students need. We've never needed standardized tests to meet the needs of students. And so I hope that we can now be driven by the right things and we can let go of things like seat time, standardized testing, and really work toward demonstration of mastery, you know, all those other areas like collaboration, being a problem solver, being able to work well with others, our opportunities in the arts and, and others uh, to, to create well-rounded and help contribute to well-rounded whole children. Um, I'm excited about that. Um, Tanya, any other impacts on students um, that you share uh, as a parent even? 
Um, so one of the things I would say, and Mike kind of started to mention about, we don't know exactly what our students are doing in their houses. One of the things that I've heard a good bit from our students and talking to them and to talking through our teachers is that the shift that they've had to make in terms of when they do their work has really um, greatly been impacted. So it's not school from eight to four, like we would typically think of during the school day, because they're helping, a lot of them are helping younger siblings siblings or neighbors in the house because the parents are working from home and can't help that. So they're relying on the high school students um, to be able to do that. And so now they're having to shift when they're really doing their stuff. And that's um, also made a shift for our teachers in our building as to when they're available to the students. If we want to be available to them, we've got to make sure that we're meeting their needs in those ways. And so they're also picked up jobs, which has been great to help out with some of them and their families and situations, but it's just the look of it has taken on a different um, scene for that landscape there that we paint, and it, it just it just looks different. As a parent, my child jokes with me now that my favorite words are, hold on a minute and wait, I'll be with you soon, So um, <laughs> because that work from home and trying to parent and help her with her lessons as well, it, it becomes a struggle sometimes, even with what I'm doing, but um I think we're all trying to manage in the best way we can. And even for her, I mentioned that late night shift of hours. Sometimes we're doing math at 9 p.m. Yeah. But, um, yeah. You know, it's just the way it has to be at this time. But it makes me think of, you mentioned seat time, Latoya. That, I hope, doesn't go back to that standard way that we used to think of it as looking. I agree. I agree. And you know, what's been a little bit um, scary for me is I've noticed just in my review, I've, I've been studying and reviewing how different districts across the country have been approaching this work. And it, while some start out with an asynchronous schedule, once they realize students aren't um, touching bases, often or as as frequently as they like, they move to synchronous schedules, which I think could be a little bit dangerous because I think you're very right. I think about the fact that you and Mike are both parents, well-educated, in education, and you talk about the difficulty in trying to balance it all and work from home and work with your children. And I think about my sister and her husband, both engineers with four school-age children between seventh grade and kindergarten. Uh, my mother's uh, staying with them so that she can help with schooling. I, I think we have to be sure that we don't make assumptions that just because folks have access that that is um, an easy task for them. You know, if you have three children and one device for the family, that's a different, you know, if everybody can't be on Zoom at the same time. So I think there are lots of considerations that have to be thought through and lots of assumptions that have to be addressed so that we do approach this in a way that's manageable. And lastly, Tanya, you said something that's very important to me, and I think we all need to operate from this uh, premise that most people, almost all of us, we're doing the very best that we can. And so this is a new situation. We had no idea when we started school in August that we wouldn't finish the school year. I mean, I'm in my 20th year. I'm sure the both of you are there or beyond that. And I've never seen anything like this. Um, I think about also how things are going to change when school returns, if we're still in a remote learning situation or even in a situation that requires us to be more careful about hygiene. Uh, I'm thinking specifically if we're trying to conduct remote learning in an environment where students haven't started school and spent time with their teacher, that's going to look different in terms of building a relationship. What does that mean? You know, in the elementary school, we line kids up and wash their hands and give squirts of uh, hand sanitizer. But what's that, what's that going to mean for hygiene? There's a great article 
uh, from NPR that came out about that very thing. It's titled, uh, give me a second and I'll tell you, uh, nine ways schools will look different when and if they reopen. So I hope everybody, it's a three minute listen, um, great article. I'll tweet it out um, sometimes today, but I hope everybody will take a look at that because it talks about that hygiene. It talks about um, even looking at how we make class size smaller to avoid, um, to, to honor social distancing and even staggered schedules. And I was talking with my mom yesterday and saying, maybe it looks like kindergarten when I went to kindergarten, when some of us went half a day in the morning and some of us went half a day in the afternoon. You know, um, it's very, it's going to be very interesting to watch and see what happens. Yeah, I read that same article, Latoya. Great point. That one thing that stuck out with me was how it talked about all that, and then it, it even sh- um, you can picture the six feet social distancing. It just made me think of school will definitely not look the same for sure. And we all know that, but. One of the biggest pieces um, that I'm missing right now from school, and even though it's moving and it's going and feel like we're having great successes, is that social aspect of school. And so once we do return to that, there's that key piece of that and that thinking about the kids high-fiving each other and giving hugs as they come through the door with your good mornings, what's up, and all of that. Um, Just will take on a different look, and so it gives a little bit different feel to it and it's part of what I'm missing right now. Yeah. The online piece school. Yeah, I have to say I'm missing that too. And Mike, I remember earlier, um, as this happened, you t- sending us a text saying that your son was missing certain favorite meals from the cafeteria. Right. <laughs> the most unexpected thing I've heard over the closure is that he is really missing school lunch, including the um, hot dogs, which is apparently his favorite. So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but I would, I, would, I would say too, you know, I know in education, a lot of us educators were perfectionists, and we want to be perfect, and we want to make sure we are keeping up with the person next to us. So, um, kind of like you said, or maybe it was Tanya, um, you know, I want to just let everybody know, we, we know everyone's trying their best, and just because you see somebody online who is posting all this stuff of Zoom classes and online, remember what you always see online is not always accurate, and teachers and principals and everyone in education, I really do hope you recognize that we're all doing our best. It's not going to be perfect. No one expects you to be perfect and you don't have to live up to the image that somebody else is portraying. So just keep doing what you're doing. I think we all are doing our very best. Yeah, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think all of us have a responsibility to honor the challenge in uh, the newness and the the, the just difference in this situation and what we're used to. And we can do that by being patient and kind with one another. And I can't say this enough. Um, several weeks ago, I tweeted out the Hattie article that talked about the potential impact of school closure. And it got over 500 likes and several hundred retweets. And I can't say this enough. I truly believe that as educators, we're doing the very best we can. And that in the end, our kids are going to be all right. Um, I don't have any doubt about that. And so I can only hope that as we continue to deal with this, that we become more confident in that. I think it's been interesting to see higher ed's approach where they move to a, many of them have moved to a pass-fail system where students have a choice to take a pass-fail GPA neutral grade or to take a letter grade. And I wonder often about what this will do in terms of grading, how this will impact um, public schools' approach to grading. Um, and uh, I think that's something else we'll have to tackle with. Well, I want to thank both of you for being on today. It's been a pleasure to talk about um, impact of COVID-19. 
And again, I just want to remind everybody, if you haven't already, please check out my Twitter feed. Uh, It's at Latoya Dixon 5. You can follow me at Latoya Dixon 5, all one word. You can follow Mike at Wakesness MS. Is that right, Mike? No, at M Wakesness. At M Wakesness. Okay, at M Wakesness, M-W-A-I-K-S-N-I-S. Follow Mike. And I'm going to let Tanya do her own so I don't screw that one up. Tanya, what's your Twitter handle? I believe it's at Tanya B. German. All right. T-O-N-Y-A-B-German, G-E-R-M-A-N. All right. You can follow all of us on Twitter and see the kind of conversations we're having. But I'll tell you this. You can't be on our group text message because that's where we really have the fun. Um, But we we try to share most of the things that we learn. Um, Also, I hope you'll register for the Ed Minham South Carolina First E-Learning and Equity uh, E-Conference. It's going to be free. It's on May 1st. You don't have to register for the entire thing. You can register for the sessions. I'm doing the keynote. That keynote is going to talk about some of the things we talked about today, and it's going to be a powerful day of learning for for all of us who um, are excited about how do we keep our learning going as lifelong learners and educators in this field. It starts at 2 o'clock, and I hope to see you there. Until next time, folks, be you, be true, be a hope builder, and wash your hands. This is Leadership with LaToya for Leaders on the Grow.